You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. Hello, my name is Tony Andres, and I'm an associate professor of philosophy at Christendom College. I'm very pleased to have been asked to speak to you today on the subject of logic for the International Catholic University. I'm going to be teaching about the logic of Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. Now the course will have a total of 12 one-half hour lessons. I'd like to do two things in this, our introductory lesson. First, I want to talk about the importance of logic for the study of Thomistic philosophy and theology. Second, I want to give you a big picture, an overview of the course as a whole. But before I get to those two tasks, I want to give you a brief historical survey of the origin of Aristotelian logic. Now, we find logical themes being discussed by the ancient philosophers Socrates and Plato. Socrates discusses definition and induction in particular, while Plato takes up many logical topics in several of his dialogues. But neither Socrates nor Plato has given us a complete systematic treatment of logic. It took Plato's student Aristotle to systematize the study of logic. Aristotle wrote several treatises on the different parts of logic, and these are collected in what scholars call the organon, which is a Greek word that means tool. Aristotle's organon was the basis of most logical study for over 1,500 years, and it's been the subject of numerous commentaries. St. Thomas Aquinas's teacher, St. Albert the Great, wrote commentaries on every single book of Aristotle's organon. Uh, St. Thomas himself wrote two commentaries on the books of Aristotle's Organon, one on the book called On Interpretation, another on Aristotle's Posterior Analytics. What we're going to do in this class is, first of all, to discuss St. Thomas's prologue to his commentary on Aristotle's Posterior Analytics, because this is not just a prologue for the Posterior Analytics, but rather one for the whole of Aristotle's logic. And in that prologue, he covers the two themes that we want to talk about today, the importance of the study of logic and an outline of the whole of the subject of logic. Now, St. Thomas begins his prologue by talking about the importance of logic, and he begins with a quotation from Aristotle's Metaphysics. Now, Aristotle writes, the human race lives by art and reason. To explain this quotation, St. Thomas draws a contrast between man and the other irrational animals. He says, man lives by art and reason while the animals live by a kind of instinct. This is how he puts it. While the other animals are driven to their actions by a certain natural instinct, man is directed to his actions by the judgment of reason. Here's an example. A sheep sees a wolf. It does not reason to itself, the wolf is dangerous, that's a wolf, therefore I should run away. It just runs away by a kind of natural instinct. 
the sheep simply has an overwhelming feeling of fear and that feeling drives it to run. Now, man also has feelings of fear, but the difference is that man can overcome those feelings of fear through the use of his reason. A man might see the wolf, feel fear, but judge that at this time the wolf is not dangerous or that it will be more dangerous to run from the wolf than to face him. Man ultimately directs his actions by reason while the other animals are directed by instinct. Now, at first, this might seem to point to the superiority of the other animals over man. Because when we're just talking about reasoning, reasoning is not as quick as instinct and is more prone to error. That is, a man asks himself whether he should run from the wolf, and by the time he's through deliberating, the wolf has eaten him. Or perhaps he's had enough time, but his reasoning is mistaken. He reasons it's more dangerous to run away when actually he should run away. Reason, because it requires deliberation and because it's prone to mistakes, seems actually to be worse than instinct. So how are we going to answer this question? How are we going to see how reason could possibly be better than instinct? St. Thomas answers it this way. So it is that the various arts serve to perfect human actions so that they proceed easily, in an orderly way, and without error. Now, what I'd like to do is go through that sentence bit by bit to try to understand what St. Thomas means. First, let's talk about art. What does he mean by art? St. Thomas has a broader conception of art than perhaps we have. He's not just including the fine arts, sculpture, painting, music. All right. What St. Thomas means by art is a general habit of being able to make things or to perform certain actions in the proper way. For example, the ability the carpenter has to make a table or a chair is an art according to St. Thomas. And the ability the builder has to make a good house is another kind of art. St. Thomas says that art gives a reason the kind of ability that the animals have through instinct. Art enables reason to direct human actions so that they proceed quickly, easily, and without making a lot of mistakes. So St. Thomas defines art as follows. Art is nothing but a sure and rational ordering of the way human actions arrive at their correct ends through determinate means. Now, St. Thomas himself uses the art of building as an example. Every man needs shelter, and if we look at man before he discovered the art of building, we can see that he still makes shelters, very simple and imperfect. For example, a lean-to. He gathers the materials he thinks might help, big leaves, vines, a few sticks, and he ties them together. He lashes the whole thing to a large tree. When he uses the lean-to, he finds that it's better than no shelter at all, but that it's very imperfect. The roof leaks, it lets in a lot of cold air. Now here's the lesson. Using reason by itself, a man can build something, but what he builds is very imperfect. Because man has reason, however, he can reflect upon the action of building. He can reflect on how he learnt to build the lean-to. He can think about the materials he used, 
the methods he used to construct it, and as a consequence, he can sort out the ones that worked well and the ones that did not work well. He will build a better lean-to more easily next time. And as he progresses further in building, he comes to develop in himself more and more perfectly a kind of art, a way of building. So that what he builds is more perfect and he builds it more effectively. So we can sum up the whole thing this way. Because man has reason rather than instinct, initially his actions are very imperfect. But because he can use reason to reflect upon his actions, he can perfect the means he uses to accomplish his purposes. And that reflection results in the discovery and acquisition of the arts. Now, what we've seen so far is that art in general is necessary. That men live by reason and by art. What we now want to see is why a certain particular art, the art of logic, is necessary. Now, St. Thomas writes, Reason can not only direct the lower powers of the soul, but reason can direct itself in its own actions, because it belongs to the understanding part to reflect upon itself. Now, once again, there's a lot packed in that sentence, so I want to take it one step at a time. First, he says reasoning directs its own actions. Now, St. Thomas is pointing out that not only is building or carpentering an action, but reasoning itself is an action. So when I reason about building, when I reason about being a carpenter, I'm reflecting on actions. Secondly, unlike the powers of soul which we share with the other animals, human reason can reflect upon itself. It can reflect upon its own actions. Now, a sheep sees a wolf and he feels fear and he runs away. But seeing cannot see itself, and fear cannot fear itself, and running cannot run itself. But reasoning is different. Reasoning can reason about reasoning. Reasoning can reflect upon itself, and it can perceive its own actions. So now, let's remember what an art does for us. Before a man discovers the art of reasoning, for example, he can reason, but he does it with difficulty, slowly, and he makes a lot of mistakes. After he's discovered an art of reasoning by reflecting upon the actions of reasoning and trying to make them better, he can reason with much greater ease and make many fewer mistakes. St. Thomas writes, there must be some art which directs the actions of reason itself. Through this, a man can perform the actions of reason in an orderly way, with ease and without error. This art is called logic. So, now we can see why logic is necessary. Reasoning by itself is not easy. It needs an art to make it easier, less prone to error. That art is logic. And if we're going to study St. Thomas's philosophy and theology, which study things that are the most difficult to reason about, then especially when we're doing philosophy and theology, we need to have this art of logic to direct the actions of our reasoning. 
Now, after St. Thomas explains why we need the art of logic, he goes on to discuss the parts of that art. In fact, two-thirds of the prologue is concerned with the outline of logic, showing us the parts of logic and the order of those parts. So our next task then is to go over the outline that St. Thomas provides for us. Now first, we want to talk about how St. Thomas determines the parts of the art of logic. St. Thomas says that since logic is the art of reasoning, the parts of logic will map onto the various actions of reasoning. And there's not just one kind of action which reason performs. Rather, there are going to be three kinds of actions which reasons performs. And therefore, there are going to be three parts to the art of logic. So, the first thing we need to look at is the three actions of reason. As St. Thomas calls them in another place, we're going to talk about the three operations of the human intellect. Now, the first operation of the human intellect is, as St. Thomas puts it, the understanding of what is simple and indivisible. Which understanding conceives what a thing is? For example, if I'm going to study the science of geometry, I need to know what a triangle is. The idea of a triangle, what a triangle is, is simple, undivided. Simple in the sense that it doesn't combine a subject and a predicate to make a statement or something like that. It's just a subject to be understood. And that part of logic which corresponds to that operation of the human intellect is covered in two treatises which are included in Aristotle's Organon. One written by Aristotle called The Categories, and the other written by another man called Porphyry, a philosopher of the late ancient world, which is called the Isagoge. And Isagoge is simply the Greek word for introduction. The Isagoge, in fact, was meant by Porphyry to be an introduction to Aristotle's categories, to give us some idea of the meanings of the terms used by Aristotle in the categories. It's such a perfect introduction to Aristotle's categories that, in fact, it's usually included in editions of Aristotle's Organon. Now, that's the part of the Organon that's concerned with the first operation of the human intellect. We're going to be talking about that later on, but now it's time to move on to introducing the second operation of the human intellect and the part of logic which corresponds to it. The first operation was characterized by a kind of simplicity. The second operation, in contrast, is characterized by a certain complexity. The combination and separation of a subject and a predicate in a statement. So the second part of logic deals with the combination or separation of the simpler things that are understood by means of the first part of logic. And the goal of the second part of logic is in contrast to the goal of the first part of logic. The first operation is merely trying to understand what something is in a simple way, while the second is trying to understand the true and the false 
as it's expressed in a statement about the simple thing. For example, when I say triangle or even plane figure bounded by three straight lines, there's no judgment of truth or falsity involved. But if I were to say a triangle is a plane figure bounded by three straight lines, then I am making a judgment which is true or false. The second part of logic directs our intellects in making such statements, such combinations, which have the character of being true or false. Aristotle talks about this part of logic in a treatise that's called in Greek often the perihermeneus. The English title is usually given as On Interpretation. Now, after talking about the second part of logic in a very short way, St. Thomas in his prologue goes on to talk about the third part of logic. And he begins by talking about the third and final operation of the human intellect. He calls this operation discursive reasoning. Now, the word discursive comes from the Latin discurre, to run through. So the third operation is called discursive reasoning because it runs through, the mind runs through in this operation from one truth to another truth. All the rest of the books of Aristotle's Organon are devoted to discursive reasoning, directing the operation of reasoning in discourse. The logic of the third operation is divided into three parts. The first part is covered in two treatises called the Prior Analytics and the Posterior Analytics. And those treatises cover the judging part of logic. The second part is covered in three treatises of the Organon, the topics, the rhetoric, and the poetics. And that part of logic is called by St. Thomas the discovering part of logic. And the third part of this logic dealing with the third operation is called the sophistical part of logic, and it is dealt with in Aristotle's treatise on sophistical refutations. I'd like to give you a little advice about how to proceed in this course. First of all, I think you should view the lectures before you read the accompanying materials, because I'm hoping that the lectures will guide you in your reading of the accompanying materials. Secondly, of course, read the accompanying materials. And thirdly, do the exercises. And I think after having listened to the lecture and reading the material, the exercises should not be a difficulty for you. They're not meant to be hard. They're simply meant to give you practice in actually using the things that we learn in our logic class. Now, in a later lecture, I will give a more detailed outline of how the third part of logic, the logic of the third operation, is structured. But for the moment, we have an idea of how St. Thomas divides up the whole of logic. What we're going to do next time in our next lecture is we're going to get into the logic of the first operation. And first, we're going to look at Porphyry's Isagoge. And then in the succeeding two lectures, we're going to look at Aristotle's categories. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.